Thank you, Andy. Thanks. <clears throat> I was trying to think when I when I got here this morning. <clears throat> what's it called? The, the Ag Center is is that where we first met? The Agriplex. Uh, I remember that well. That we met in a Starbucks, and it wasn't but a, a, a Sunday afterwards. I was at the Agriplex with you guys. Can everybody hear me okay, or should I lift up my mic a little bit? Up. Okay, open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. If you know this psalm, then you probably understand why I want to preach from this psalm this morning. This is a call to worship the all-sufficiency of God. And to remind us that participating in God's mission is, is much more than simply being in the business of evangelizing the lost. We are seeking to see people reconciled with their God so that they may know and worship them the way that God intended them to be. Now, if you're like many Christians that do a lot of things for the Lord, that, that do good things, that serve and, and do it mightily. But then you sometimes fail to see, why are we doing this? What is the point of all of it? What is the purpose of why we do what we do? Well, I encourage, I, I hope that this psalm will be an encouragement to you this afternoon. Read with me, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. And we pray, Lord, that we are not simply hearers, but doers of your word. Do your work within us. Use it as you see fit. Open the eyes of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I hate to say this, but I don't know, what is this, 2018? So I was reading a Facebook post recently. And as I was reading this post, it was from a friend of mine who had recently published a book. Now, she learned some things about this, some things about God in herself as she, as she poured her life into something that it was like a goal. It was, it was a, a lifetime achievement for her to say, I wrote this book. It's on Amazon. I'm a published author. And immediately this book, in her particular genre, it, it shoots up to number one. But you know what she noticed? Once that goal was achieved, it never really truly satisfied her life. And she had to confess. I, I kind of thought that it would. But in the end, she's a believer and she realized that only God could satisfy the soul. Only God can be our total satisfaction. Now, let me ask you, have you found yourself to be in a similar situation at some point in your life? You know what I'm talking about? Where you pour your blood, sweat, and tears into something, and, and you know that God is all sufficient. You hear it from the pulpit, but deep down you just think, if I could just get this accomplished, then this would cure a lot of my issues. But then in the end, once it's completed, what do we realize? It never really satisfied. And so we move on to the next project in life. I heard this C.S. Lewis quote the other day that I found interesting. It said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, we were created to know and worship God, and there is no worldly endeavor, there is no earthly pursuit, there is no public recognition that is ever really going to satisfy what God reserves for himself alone. Now, Genesis 3, it highlights the fall of man. We all know this, and this is when sin entered into the world. But do you know what the primary effect of the fall was? This is when mankind ended its pursuit of knowing and worshiping God. This is when we began to pursue other things that were never meant, never meant to satisfy the soul. <clears throat> so what's it going to take? What will it take for mankind to once again return to his or her true purpose in life? And what is it going to take for us as believers to escape the distractions and the deceptions of activities that never really satisfy our soul? Well, the answer to these questions, I think, are found in this psalm. God has created us. To know and worship him. And therefore we must commit our lives to knowing and worshiping God. This is our lifelong pursuit. Now I have read this psalm countless times. And there is no mistake that the Lord must be the central focus of our lives. And not just for believers. This is for all peoples. 
And so the psalmist is encouraging us to do three things to commit to growing, to commit to giving and to commit to God's plan. We were created to know and worship God. So we must commit ourselves to growing. We are a forgetful people. And we are often fooled by the empty pursuits in life. Some of us are depending on Bible verses that we memorized when we were a child to sustain us for the real issues that we have today and have yet to return to the word. Others of us are so distracted or we are so stressed out by current events that then we begin to pursue food or we pursue leisure or hobbies that will temporarily distract us from life's issues. But it also temporarily distracts us from the things that we really need. Now, I'm certain that every one of you here, you have a desire to grow in God, to grow in your relationship with the Lord. But the question often becomes, where do we begin? Where do we begin this pursuit in knowing and worshiping God? We begin by growing in his goodness. We grow in his goodness. The first two verses are calling us to remember the tender mercies of our Lord and to remember his marvelous works. And when we do these two things, remembering his tender mercies, remembering his marvelous works, what is our song? Lord, you are good. You see, singing to the Lord, it reverses the natural polarity of our hearts that says that really wants to sing a song of complaint or sing a song of the things that we do not have. But instead, our mouths should sing songs to our creator, indicating our love for him alone. And we grow in the knowledge of God's goodness when we engage our minds in a new song. A new song, a song of actively meditating on the goodness of God that he has granted for us this very day. Now, it is true that God was working in your life yesterday, and it is true that God is working in your life in the future. But his mercies are new every single day. And so we are to sing about this current work in our life. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Remembering God's mercies by singing to him alone is the beginning, the very beginning of pursuing a life that we were purposed to live. And the psalmist tells us that we must grow in the goodness of God as we remember his marvelous works as well. Verse 2 says this, bless his name and tell of his salvation. This is the exact opposite of the example of the Israelites, where you have in a span of two short chapters, Exodus 14 through 16, we see the Israelites, they have been delivered out of slavery and brought through the Red Sea. And then what happens? Grumbling begins. Why? Because they're hungry. They want food to eat. You see, we must sing songs that cause us to remember his works of salvation in our lives. 
And in doing so, you know what we're doing? We are growing in the fact that our God is so much bigger than the obstacles that we are currently facing, the things that we can see with our own eyes. And you know what else it's telling us? As we sing in this song of salvation, that even today God is working to reconcile sinful man to himself. People are always, always counseling me when, when I have uh, an opportunity to share about France or the testimony like I did this morning of what God is doing. You know what they tell me to do? They say, write it down. We forget. And when we sing of his salvation, we're remembering it. And we're elevating God in our hearts above all things that are perceived to satisfy the human soul. Now, let me ask you another question. When your life is all over with, when this is all said and done, do you really want it to count for something? A lot of people talk about leaving a legacy. Do you want your life to count? Well, then commit to growing in the greatness of God. The greatness of God. To grow in the greatness of God, this involves knowing our role in this world And it involves knowing our God. Let me explain. If we do not understand why we are here and who we are doing it for, we're just spinning our wheels. Greg Beale says this. God's ultimate goal in creation was to magnify his glory throughout the earth by means of his faithful image bearers inhabiting the world in obedience to the divine mandate. You know what that means? In other words, God employed every one of us to fulfill his purpose of covering this earth with God worshipers. And when we declare his glory to the nations and we we declare God's marvelous works to all the peoples, you know what we are doing? We are fulfilling our God given role in this world. This is what it's all about. And we must understand our role because nations and peoples, you know what that means? That means that this message that we communicate refers to every single person on this planet. Everyone. Everyone needs to be reconciled with God. And God has ordained us, his human agents, to proclaim his gospel of salvation to the entire nations. So do you know the gospel? And are you able to communicate it to other people? This is an essential. But did you know that knowing our role in this world, it's only half the equation. If we are going to commit to growing in the greatness of God... You know what's really essential? We must know our God. We must know our God. When we commit to uh, commit ourselves to growing in the greatness of God, we are in fact committing to a deeper knowledge of God. Listen to this. Psalm 90 or 86 9 says this. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. God will convert the nations to worship and glorify his name. That's our God. You know what Psalm 72 says? 
says that all the nations will serve God and be a blessing to him. Psalm 67 expresses confidence that all the nations will receive salvation. And then it explains that God blesses his people so that they may bless the nations. We, we're not doing what we do just because it's on a whim, because this is what we feel like doing. Missionaries don't go off to a faraway land to leave their family and friends to suddenly go and speak to people who clearly don't want to hear it just on a whim. No, we know our God given role and we must be confident that God saves souls for the glory of his name. This is so important. It is so important that we understand this message because you know what we're really doing is we go off to nations and we're actually giving them a message that is an about face to those that are living in rebellion against God. It's a complete about face. Repentance is mandatory. And verse 4 says this though. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. So what do we call them to repent from? Their sin, their idolatry, their rebellion. But repent, turned from these things to what? True greatness. To the one who is great. And if there's anything in this world that we should show any type of honor and respect to, it should be our God because there is nothing else that will satisfy their souls. The God of sex, the God of money, power, and prestige, they are worthless, absolutely worthless. And so we are to call mankind to turn their back from these things and then turn to the splendor, the majesty, the strength, and the beauty of our God. And it's only found in him. They're not going to find it in anything else or anyone else. You remember after the resurrection... Jesus appeared to his disciples. You remember, you remember what, it, what it, their response was in, in Luke 24? When they see Jesus, at first they're, they're startled, they're frightened. And then Jesus, he shows them his hands, his feet. He allows them to, to, to touch him. And then he sits down with them and he has a meal with them. And you remember what he says in Luke 24? 24, 44 through 47. You can turn there if you want, but I'll just read it to you. He says this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance For the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. Committing ourselves to knowing and worshiping God is an active pursuit in growing in the goodness and the greatness of our God. Some of us here are musically talented. I just experienced that. And if you sit on the front row, you get the full experience right there in front of that speaker. I want to encourage you to literally sing a new song to the Lord each and every day, especially if you really can sing. I can't, but I have an Amazon Alexa. 
And so sometimes she sings for me, and I sing along. But sing words of scripture, a hymn, and, and even some of those contemporary worship songs that are out there. And for families, I strongly encourage you to sing together as a family. It's so important. Also, as I mentioned earlier, as an application, you know, what I was telling you about during Sunday school. Um, before you go to sleep at night, actively think about how God is working in your life, how he has blessed you that, certain, that, that day, and thank him for it before you go to sleep. And, you know, I told you that I started that when I went to France eight years ago. Uh, I've never once had a problem trying to think about how God has blessed me that day. We also must understand that uh, growing in the goodness of God, it is the the behind-the-scenes work to your public ministry. The investment that you make in your home will determine your actions outside of the home. Very important to understand. And when we commit to growing in the greatness of God, our message will be crystal clear. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our fellowship with God has been broken. It was broken in the garden. We have become enemies of God. But God has made a way to reconcile the relationship and return us to our created purpose. And so we tell others, we tell the nations to turn from their worthless idols that they are pursuing. Turn from the sin that's in their life and turn to the living and resurrected God, Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of all that is good and who is worthy of our praise. And then we tell him to turn to the only one who is truly great and who is to be feared. And the only one who will one day judge the world in righteousness. That is growing in the goodness and greatness of our God. But we were created to know and worship God. And so we must also commit ourselves to giving. Our sin nature, it's bent on taking what is not ours, and it's blind to spiritual realities. And so we must give God the glory that is rightfully his, and we must also give him the reverence that he deserves. What are some of the ways that we can give God glory? Well, we can recognize him as the giver of all that is good. The giver of all that is good. Ascribe to the Lord. That's what it means. It means give to the Lord. Our purpose in life is to recognize that that God is everything that we are not. And we are to see God as bigger and better than anything that this world has to offer. And so is everybody else outside of this building. And so are the nations. And they are to understand that what he ultimately provides is for our good and his glory. Verse 8 says this, bring an offering and come into his courts. Do you know what that means? That means that we give freely to God what he has freely given to us. All that we have belongs to him. And us giving back what he has given to us is a form of worship to him. And so we glorify God by recognizing that every single thing that we have belongs to him. Now, there are a lot of people that are interested in missions. 
and and Lord and, and usually when when this comes into their mind, um, they they will actually come to France and they'll spend time with missionaries and they'll look at the observe our ministry and stuff. And believe it or not, this happens easily once a month, where you'll host someone for up to a week, showing them uh, your ministry. It's part of it. We're okay with that. That's what it means to be a missionary. That's part of the, the job in that. But as we get to visit down with these people, there's some ministry opportunities there. We discovered that real quick. And one day I was sitting with a couple and I thought that it was, um, I thought many of their questions were perceptive. But then in the end, towards the end, they just said, I've got to ask you, you are, you're supported by churches and individuals and stuff. Um, it's their money that they're giving to you. So how could you buy a coffee at Starbucks uh, with a clear conscience? How would you answer that? Because my response was, well, how do you buy a coffee at Starbucks with a clear conscience? Who's, where does your money come from? Probably not the most graceful thing. But it's true. When we rec- uh, so we recognize that all that we have is the Lord's. And then what we do is that we freely give back to what he has given us. And then we also we give him a credit for the things that he's doing with the things that he has provided us. But this changes our mind. This understanding changes us because suddenly we become stewards of God and we become generous towards the things that matter to God. This is why it's so essential. But what can we give to God that he deserves? I know the obvious answer is everything, but in this particular context of this this psalm, we must give him reverence. We must give God the reverence that he deserves. Revering God means that we must see him as king and we must see him as sovereign. Verse 10 says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. God's people must see themselves under God's rule. Adam and Eve were under God's rule, right? In the garden. Israel, out of all the nations, were placed under God's rule. And then Jesus inaugurated the kingdom kingdom of God when his first coming. And through repentance and faith, his people have submitted to his reign in their lives. We are members of God's kingdom community. And we must see our whole life, whole life, every aspect of it as a service to the king. And we cannot know God completely. And we are not worshiping God if we are trying to reign in our own lives. And when we see ourselves as kingdom people, we as the church under God's reign, we join God's mission to renew all things. And this brings us back to our true purpose in life. Our king tells us to proclaim his reign to all the nations. And so our lives are a worship to him as we share the gospel of the kingdom to all the nations so that they may come to faith in Christ. But we also revere God when we see him as sovereign. I know that I'm preaching to the choir when you name your church Sovereign Grace Bible Church. But verse 10 says this, yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. 
God showed himself sovereign over all the nations when he judged and defeated the false gods of Egypt. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, God establishes his sovereign rule. But do you know why he does this? To increase the confidence that God's people would have in their faithful, sovereign God. Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his namesake. There is nothing that takes place in this world that is outside of his sovereign hand. And there is no one who will not get what they deserve based upon their rebellious ways. We can trust that this is true. We can trust this. Because his name is at stake. General Charles Gordon was a a British uh, army officer. They called him Chinese Gordon because most of his accolades, his military accolades, they originated in China. Well, after his retirement, the the English government, they wanted to reward him for his magnificent service. And uh, General Gordon, he denied the, the money that they offered him. He denied all the titles that, that they wanted to give him. He accepted one single thing, and it was a gold medallion. And on this gold medallion, they had, uh, they had his name on there and then the 31 accomplishments that, on, on the back of this. So after his death, his family go and they look for this gold medallion of his. They can't find it. It was learned that he sent it to Manchester during a famine. And he requested that it be melted down and used to buy bread for the famishing poor. And then his family found his diary. And on the day that he, gave, that he gave up this medal, he wrote this. The last and only thing that I had in this world that I valued, I have given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. This man recognized that all of the glory of all of his accomplishments belonged to the Lord. And his value in the Lord far surpassed any type of worldly prestige. We give freely when our supreme value is in the Lord. And a life of giving is a life filled with true purpose. A life of giving is a life filled with true purpose. And when we do that, we are essentially growing in the knowledge of God. And our lives are worship to our God. When we as believers, we ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We are also placing God back to the center of the salvation story. God once again becomes the hero of the salvation story. And man becomes, he goes in his rightfully place. He becomes the one who is incapable and weak. There's a question that people often ask me when I'm in France. They say, how do you raise six kids? Quick answer, by his grace and for his glory. And then the next response that they typically give me, and you got to understand, too, that in France, six is like having a million over here. And then they say, well, I don't know how you survive every day. I say, well, I know. God empowers me to do the things that I don't want to do, say the things that I don't feel like saying, 
And he grants me the patience that I simply do not have. And then in the end, I still try to mess it up. When we recognize also that God is a giver of all that is good, we end up preaching a biblical gospel. Our message that we bring to the nations is not how great that they can become in Christ, but that they exist for him. Not that he exists for us. St. Pratt says, he is God and we are not. He is primary and we are subordinate. But you know, also when we see God as sovereign king, we begin to act like kingdom people on a mission to see others bow before their king. I found this interesting in one of these books I was recently reading. You see, the world will conclude this. I will seek advice from others. I will allow them influence. But ultimately, the decision is mine. They are accountable to government authorities and things like that, things that are bound by human laws. But overall, for many people, the buck stops with them. But a believer who knows and worships God with their life says, God is the owner of my belongings. I am the steward. I submit to God's word as the Holy Spirit illuminates and leads in the context of the body of Christ. And I pray that my decisions align with my king and his mission. Knowing and worshiping God is a life of giving. We were created to know and worship God. Therefore, we must commit to God's plan. We must commit to God's plan. Marketing professional, uh, professionals have learned that a long time ago that, that our behaviors are modified by rewards. If we can see tangible results as we move forward, then we go wholeheartedly. We go full throttle because we can see results. But in God's plan, there's a tension, right? There's, there's, a, there's an already, but not yet. So what do we need to know truly about God's plan? You need to know that already, but not yet. But we must understand that God's plan involves anticipation and it involves restoration. Anticipation and restoration. See, we anticipate the return of the Lord with eager expectation, right? Every one of us here, we say, come Lord Jesus. We are eagerly anticipating his return. We're expecting it. But what are you looking for when he gets here? What are your expectations upon his returning? Forgiveness, healing, happiness. What about heaven? But here's good news. God's plan is so much bigger. It is so much bigger. It says the heavens will be glad. The earth will rejoice. The seas will roar in all that fills it. We are expecting the king to return and put everything Every single thing back in order. And so the goal of God's plan 
is nothing less than full redemption. That means a redemption of, of, of a people for God's own possession and a redemption of the entire creation from the curse brought upon it by humanity's disobedience. And as we wait patiently for this coming redemption, we do this with joy. The curse is going to be removed. The groanings will cease. And every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will be represented among the redeemed before God's throne. And so the question for us, honestly, the question for us is this, will we know the joy of obedience and participation? Now, this does not mean that all of us right now, this is not that famous missionary call of pack your bags and go. That's not what I'm saying. And that's not what this text is saying. But all of, of redeemed humanity has a role to play in God's mission. There were two sons in the Taylor family in England. The older one was set out to make a name for himself and for his family. And so he turned his attention to the parliament and prestige. But he had a younger brother. You know what his younger brother's name was? Hudson Taylor. He was the youngest one, but he chose to give his life to Christ. And so he turned his face towards China and a life of obscurity. But today, Hudson Taylor is known and honored on every single continent. And he's known to found China Inland Mission. What happened to his older brother that pursued a, a life of uh, fame and prestige? Well, if you look up his name in like an encyclopedia, maybe, maybe Google him. You know what it'll say? Brother of Hudson Taylor. You men will have their names inscribed on marble monuments for feats of fame. And someday these monuments will fall in fragments. 1 John 2.17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So many people today are trying to be fulfilled uh, in, in life by making a name for themselves. But they fail to see that their life was purposed to magnify the Lord. Today, people will spend more time anticipating what their legacy is going to look like rather than the return of Christ. And in the end, they want to receive a long list of rewards without giving anything back in return. And any future plans that they might have are all self-focused. But our purpose in life is so much bigger than ourselves. And as we anticipate the coming of our Lord... We must place Jesus in the center of God's plan. And we must realize that God's plan involves all of creation. But you know, God's plan involves restoration as well. Anyone who purposes to live a life as God has intended will immediately notice that this world is not the way that it should be. People love what God hates and they hate what God loves. And people who live to know and worship God, we are essentially going against the grain of this world. And you know why? It's because we live with purpose and we live with conviction. Now listen to this. The, the grand finale of this psalm is that God will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. 
Why do you think that the psalmist now is going to end on the topic of judgment? Because when I first read this, to be honest with you, I was thinking, well, this is a day of terror. This is a day that many people will fear because they're finally going to get their just reward. But we don't want this to happen, right? You read about judgment and you think about the terror of your family and your loved ones and you say, no, I don't want this to happen. And so we purpose to go out to the nations so that we can call people in to God's kingdom. That's what that's our response. This is our purpose. But honestly, what is our conviction when it comes to God's return and particularly with God's judgment? What is your conviction? When God judges the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness, listen to me. This is when life truly begins. Do you hear me? When God judges the world in righteousness and his people in faithfulness, this is when true living begins. The end will come at the second coming of Christ, and this involves a renewal of the created order. And Revelation 21, 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Our battle with sin will be finished. The threat of physical death will be relinquished. The enemy will be defeated. And we will say goodbye to grief, to crying, to pain. And the cross of Christ will be magnified because it accomplished everything that it had set out to do. And God's mission will be complete. Our purpose involves restoration and our conviction is the life that people are searching right here on this earth. It is in vain. And only people that are about God's mission will find true satisfaction. And they will ultimately be fulfilled when he returns to judge the world in righteousness. This is when true living begins. Our days are numbered. And this life, it's a vapor. But we must evaluate if our lives are committed to knowing and worshiping God. We can spend hours watching a sporting event, but mere minutes in God's word. We may invest countless hours with our family and friends, but fail to share with them the hope that is in Jesus. We can do acts of kindness to our neighbors, but neglect to consider that we live in a world where thousands and thousands of people groups have not heard the gospel. We may spend large sums of money on leisure and entertainment, but never support global missions. And most of us will do this because we have been deceived into thinking that these other things are going to satisfy our longing soul. But now we know. Now we know. True satisfaction in life comes when we commit to knowing and worshiping God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. I thank you, Lord, that, that I can finally see uh, these dear saints face to face and that we can have fellowship together. I thank you for our partnership that we have in the gospel. I thank you for the encouragement that they have been to me, and I pray that I can be an encouragement to them this morning as well.
But Father, I just pray that that you are glorified in in all of this situation. That as I, I I return to France, I pray that I'm faithful to your word and faithful to the gospel message. And I pray for my dear friends here as well. That as they go out into their neighborhoods, that they are salt and light. They have an answer for the hope that's within them with gentleness and respect. And I pray, Lord, that they grow in their knowledge of you and that their lives are an act of worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.